Hey, so what did we do when we had questions before the internet and Google existed? Well, I guess you could turn to your parents, but if they didn't know an answer or if they couldn't make one up, a lot of people would then turn to the library. A few years ago, the New York City Public Library discovered an old box filled with questions that people had come to the librarians for assistance with, and they go back some 80 or 90 years. They thought that the general public would be interested in seeing some of these. For example, one of the people asked, what does it mean when you dream that you're being chased by an elephant? I thought that was interesting, so I Googled it to find out. It means that you're avoiding responsibility in your life, which makes complete sense. Somebody else asked this, where can I get all available statistics on the volume of business, money involved, et cetera, in the sale of cadavers? That was 1948. I really hope somebody kept an eye on that guy. There's another person asked this question. Why do 18th century paintings, English paintings, have so many squirrels in them, and how did they tame the squirrels so they wouldn't bite the painter? I have no words for that one. <laughs> How about this one? If a poisonous snake bites itself, will it die? I found the answer to this one too. Very fascinating. No, it will not. Another person asked, and this is a legit question. Somebody called and asked during a water crisis in New York, do you know how much water I'm using? Because of course the library would know that, right? Somebody else in 1962 was looking for Charles Darwin's book, Oranges and Peaches. The librarian thought about it for a second and realized, oh, I know what you're looking for. You're looking for the origin of species. So, very helpful. Somebody else asked this. I've wondered this too. West Point, when the kids graduate, when the cadets throw their graduation caps in the air, do they get their hats back? Do they get their caps back? Another person wanted to know about putting up wallpaper. They said, I have the paper, I have the paste. What do I do next? Does the paste go on the wall or on the paper? I've tried both and it doesn't seem to work. I have the answer to this one too. You just don't. You don't put up paper, uh, wallpaper or you hire somebody to do it because life is too short to be that angry. You know, um, surprisingly, despite the fact that even now with people just having Google on our phones, we still call our librarians. Rosa Caballero Lee, who manages the New York Public Library's Ask a Librarian program, says this, uh, people have been reaching out to librarians for as long as there have been libraries. There's no stupid questions. Everything's a teachable moment. We don't embarrass people. We just try to answer their questions with honesty and refer them to the resources they might find useful. I like that attitude because there are a lot of questions in life that we just don't have the answers to. Sometimes there are difficult questions that people have uh, that go far beyond just facts and trivia. Uh, a lot of questions that there may not even be a good answer to. A lot of questions that I run into are about the deeper things of life. For example, why did this happen? Why did God allow that to happen? Uh, does he not care? Is there, is there a reason that things happen in life? Is there a purpose to all of this? How come it seems like a lot of things that happen just aren't fair? And, and these are honest questions. And they may be questions that you've wrestled with. These are also questions that people have been asking all through history. They've been asked before. A place that we often can turn to and find some of these asked would be to the Old Testament of the Bible. Some of God's own prophets were asking these kinds of questions thousands of years ago. So as we start this new series today where we're looking at some of the minor prophets in the Bible, I would invite you to take a Bible and find the prophet Habakkuk. And I know what you're thinking. My Bible doesn't have Habakkuk. Yes, it does. Just use your table of contents. You can find it. It's H-A-B-A-K-K-U-K. It's in there. Trust me. Or you can use the Bible app and put it in there. And we're going to learn from Habakkuk today about where do we go with these difficult questions that we have in this, uh, this series, we've called it Minor Prophets, Major Truths, and we're just looking at the wisdom that, that God's prophets do have for their time and for ours. I know that uh, 
that this seems like this is a long time ago, but a lot of the questions that these guys were addressing are things that we still deal with today. And a question a lot of people will have as they start to dig into the Bible, you might find this in the table of contents of your Bible, or you may have just heard the expression, major prophets and minor prophets. And you might think that the minor prophets are less important, like they're minor. It's like the minor leagues. They just weren't good enough to play in the majors yet. That's really not what it means. It's simply the, the five major prophets uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel are just longer. They're just bigger, whereas the minor prophets just take up less real estate. So that's the only distinction. They were all equally speaking for God to people. And uh, Habakkuk, though, do need to kind of give us a little heads up on this. He's unique among the prophets. All the other prophets basically took a word from God and spoke it to the people. Habakkuk was more speaking to God for the people, or just on behalf of all of us, just asking some questions that a lot of people have. And the, the thing about this is, when Habakkuk talked, God listened and God responded. I want you to go ahead and turn to Habakkuk 1. Let's read this together uh, and just start to get into this. We're just going to look at verses 1 through 4 to start. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision, Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The laws become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that righteousness has become perverted. And as I read these words, does this not sound like 2020? Don't you feel like this is the response that we would have after watching the news? It just seems like the world that Habakkuk spoke into was very similar to our own. And if you think that, it, you would be right. And Habakkuk is very good for us because he just honestly puts his questions before God. Why is it that life seems so unfair? Why are all these things happening? God, why are you not doing anything about it? It just seems like there's so many things that need to be fixed that aren't being fixed. Why, do, why are these bad things happening to good people? Why are drug cartels continuing to prosper? Maybe you've got some questions like that. Maybe you wonder why it is you work hard and you do all the right things and there's some other jerk that doesn't do anything right and they seem to be the one that gets ahead. Uh, maybe you just look at it and you say, why is it that a truly awful person lives to be 102 years old? Meanwhile, there's a young mom in her 20s who's got cancer and is going to leave a family behind. It just doesn't seem right. Maybe you just wonder about how is it possible in 2020 that our African-American brothers and sisters are still facing injustice and racism and violence? Why is this continuing to be a thing? Maybe for you, your question is to God, how is it that some parents, maybe you include yourself in this, just do all the right things for their kids? They try to get them before God and try to, to get them the best advantages in life possible to just train them and raise them to be moral, and the kids turn out to be a mess anyway. And then on the other hand, you've got some parents who are just hot messes. They don't really care about their kids. They don't do anything really well for them. But the kids turn out fine. It just doesn't seem like there's an equity there. Maybe for you, it's a situation where you say, I'm trying to be financially wise. I'm trying to honor God. I'm trying to be generous, and nothing seems to be working out. Meanwhile, I see somebody else who hasn't been generous a day in their life, and they're just doing fine. This just doesn't seem right. Maybe for you, it's a situation where you, you feel like, I'm a person who prays, I pray, and I don't see any answers. And then you, maybe you just want to talk to God about this and say, look, I'm talking to you all the time, and you don't seem to be listening to me. But meanwhile, there's other people that you answer their prayers immediately, or at least it sounds like you do. So what's going on with that? So many questions people have. 
If you feel that way, if you've ever had doubts, concerns, questions, issues, where you even wondered about why God does things the way he does or doesn't do things, Habakkuk is your book. He is representing all of us with all of these doubts and issues that we have. He's, he's even maybe taking them to God for us. And there may be a little bit of you or maybe somebody would think, well, Habakkuk's complaining a lot. Are you sure he's a prophet? Are you sure he really has a faith in God? Uh, you sure that there's really something legitimate there? Absolutely. Habakkuk was a man with a lot of questions as he looked at the world he lived in and he looked at what he knew about God and he couldn't reconcile the two things, but he did have a deep, sincere faith with God. He had a connection with God. And I know that's true because God answered him. Not only was Habakkuk able to speak to him, but God spoke back to him. You go down on into verse 5 and you see God's response to Habakkuk. The Lord's reply to Habakkuk's complaint. The Lord replied, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. For I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if somebody had told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. Uh, they, they're notorious for their cruelty. They do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like the desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth up against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. And I, um, I find this actually authentic because Habakkuk complains to God. And God's immediate response is, oh, I'm going to tell you something and you're not going to like it. We need to get a little picture of the world that Habakkuk lived in. We think that this was around the year 625 BC, so 625 years before Jesus was born. At this time in the world, the Babylonians weren't really on anybody's radar as a, a world power. But uh, this is about 40 years before they would be. And all the things that God talked about happening here actually came to be. So, the thing that happened in 586 BC to Judah was Babylon did invade them and they took over Jerusalem and destroyed it. It was devastating. In that time period, about 40 years after Habakkuk got this word from God, the Babylonians basically did the equivalent of uh, German, the German Blitzkrieg into Poland in World War II combined with uh, Pearl Harbor, combined with 9-11. It was just this massive military invasion that no one saw coming and that was uh, literally devastating. So many people lost their lives. So many other people who did survive were deported and never to live in their homeland again. And what God says is, I'm going to allow this to happen, which to me just doesn't seem right. You're going to take an ungodly people and punish your own people with them. You're going to allow ungodly people to do ungodly things. And which leads to, and I'm not going to really go into this, but uh, if you were to go through the rest of Habakkuk, he has the same response we would have. God, okay, I know that you're going to take action. I know that the people in my own country aren't really living right, but you're going to allow the Babylonians to, to be the ones to, to punish us? They don't care about you. You're going to give other people in the world an opportunity to say God doesn't care about his people. But God's wisdom is true. And he says, this is going to happen. And so God comes back and he gives Habakkuk a second response. And he says, oh, I know the Babylonians are going to get theirs as well because they don't trust me either. Now, here's what's interesting. Habakkuk comes back to God a third time and he doesn't have a complaint at this point. He has a prayer. 
And it's through this conversation, I think God is trying to show us something about how he wants to relate to us and give us a glimpse of how he is working in the world. And if I were to take something away from the message of Habakkuk and the response he got from God, here's one of the first things I see here that's so important. God welcomes our difficult questions and our doubts and our concerns. You never find God scolding Habakkuk for coming to him with these things. As far as I can tell, Habakkuk is the one of the only of the prophets who pushes back and argues with God about what God's doing and kind of gets up in his business a little bit. I want to go back to, uh, to the first part of chapter one. I'm going to reread this from the message paraphrase. Just listen to what Habakkuk says to God in his talking to him. Why do you force me to look at evil, to stare at trouble in the face day after day? Anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights all over the place, law and order falling to pieces, justice is a joke. The wicked have right the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its head. If I were just to do a little bit deeper dive into Habakkuk, he's got three complaints against God. It really starts with this idea that God, you just don't seem to care. You look at all the things people are going through and you're just not doing anything, um, and which is his second complaint. You know, I, I don't think you care, and the reason I don't think you care is because you're allowing this stuff to happen. And there's a level of respect here. Think about this. When you say to somebody, you're not doing something, aren't you indicating that you actually believe they could? And Habakkuk is giving God that credit and that respect. God, I completely believe that if you wanted to, you could stop all the injustice in the world just like that. You can make this go away in a moment, and I don't understand why you're not, but I do believe that you could. And that leads to the third complaint. God, I do see you doing some things in the world, and you've told me you're going to do some other things for the world, and what I'm seeing you do just doesn't seem fair, which there is oftentimes a disconnect between what we see God doing and what we believe about God and what we think he should be doing. Have you ever thought that yourself? You know, I talked about that a little bit earlier about sometimes we have these questions and doubts and we look at things as they are and how we think they should be. Have you ever felt comfortable enough or free enough to pray that to God? I understand that can feel scary. You might be thinking, am I allowed to do that? Should I go to God with that? Shouldn't I just keep this to myself till I get it worked out? Or, you know, if I, if I actually do this with the same level of intensity that Habakkuk did, am I going to get bed bugs? <laughs> Is God going to make Despacito go on an endless loop in my head? Is he going to punish me for being this blunt with him? Absolutely not. I think God actually welcomes us coming to him with these hard questions. And here's why. Questioning God could actually become a significant part of your faith story. It could be the thing that God uses to help grow your faith and your maturity and help you understand what you truly believe, to help maybe shift your mindset to start seeing the world the way God sees it, because God sees it with a wisdom that we just can't wrap our minds around. Sometimes there are people in the Bible who got incredibly painfully honest with God in their prayers. Case in point, just leave Habakkuk, go back to the book of Job, J-O-B. That guy went through some serious things and really never got a complete answer from God about why he went through all the hardships in his life that he did. At the end of it, though, after he'd had a conversation with God, he realized, I still trust God. I don't have all the answers, but I trust him. So if you're in Job, you can just go on over to the Psalms in the Bible. These are like, uh, there's 150 of Psalms in here, and they're really the songs of the Bible. And they give voice to all the emotions and the experiences of life. You should read through them because I think what you'll find is some of them really resonate with where you're at 
in your life. And you might find it going, yeah, this is exactly how I feel, just it's said a little bit better. And these are honest songs and prayers. And you'll find many of them people just expressing, God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, I'm heartbroken. God, I, I'm so angry about what my enemies seem to be getting away with. And you'll find that maybe that helps you express your thoughts to God. If you go over from the Psalms, then just keep going, you'll get to the major prophets. You'll get to Jeremiah, who watched his country be decimated. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, and it's just a complete prayer to God of how sad he was about how things had turned out. You go over to the New Testament, maybe one of the greatest examples of all. Jesus, the Son of God, as he died on the cross, said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22, actually. And he's saying, in the darkest time of my life, I feel disconnected from God. So, so many people are afraid to bring their sincere questions to God. I would argue that a very real part of you growing in your faith is to bring those doubts and concerns to God. I don't know if you uh, know what a sparring partner is. You probably do. Like in boxing or uh, in martial arts, you have somebody who trains with you and uh, helps you. And so you, you can practice your moves and punching and, and blocking and parrying. And uh, a sparring partner is really essential because they allow you to, at a slower speed and in a controlled environment, do the things you're eventually going to need to do in real life. I think what God does when he gives us these doubts and concerns in our lives, allows us to live with a tension between how things are and how we think they should be. Those are like our sparring partners that help us grow and, and increase in our faith. Because a faith that is never tested isn't really, you can say you believe God, you can say that you trust him, but until you get to a situation where you truly have to count on him, where you just have to trust him that his way is the best way, even when you would do another way, those are the times that your faith truly grows and you know whether or not you legitimately do trust God. Now, here's the thing. I know that this leads us to maturity and that's why God allows this to happen. But I do understand this, and I think you do too. Doubts and, and concerns and questions, it's like playing with live ammunition. There is a very real possibility that some of these things could push a person further from God. And he knows that. But what he cares about so much is your ability to think freely for yourself, to truly make your decisions, to have a free will that says, in spite of everything that I see around me, I'm going to trust God who's, who's made me and who's invited me to be part of his family. And I'm going to believe that he is good and I'm going to believe that he is powerful and I'm going to believe that when he says he's eventually going to work it out, that he will. And so I'm going to do things his way and in the right way, even if I don't think it's the thing, right thing myself, I'm going to trust him. Maybe I can explain it this way. I actually heard Pastor Greg, Craig Groeschel explain this. There's a great book by Seth Godin. It's called The Dip, a little book that teaches you when to quit and when to stick. And in, in Seth Godin's book, he has a chart where he just talks about a, a cycle that you go through and anytime you're encountering a difficult situation. I want to do what Pastor Craig Rochelle did and just use this a little bit differently. So you see this chart here, and it's uh, just think of it in terms of when you become a Christian, or maybe remember when you became a Christian, or if you're not a Christian yet, just imagine what that might be like. Just imagine the spiritual high that you would be on if you've just totally committed your life to God. Or if you're a Christian, you may remember this, the day that you committed to Jesus, the day you were baptized. What a spiritual high that was. And it's like you're right here at the beginning of the graph. 
everything is wonderful uh, at that time. Like you, you feel like every time you go to church, the songs were just for you and they were expressing everything you were feeling and the sermon was just for you and you get in your car on the way home and Joy FM played your favorite song and you're praying prayers and God just seems to be answering everything you ask for and it's just amazing. But then there comes a point, maybe it's weeks later, maybe it's a few months later, you've been a Christian a little while and it's just like something changes. You pray a prayer. It seems like a no-brainer. You're praying for somebody to get better, or you're praying for a situation in your life that just really needs God's presence, and God doesn't answer you, or he doesn't answer you the way that you thought he would. That's a little weird. You come to church, and the sermon just doesn't really speak to you like it used to, and you're like, guess just Brian didn't have it today. I just don't get it. And uh, the songs on the radio, like, I've heard these a thousand times. I don't want to hear this anymore. You're in the dip. And this is the point in life where things start to get difficult. And maybe it's not just days and weeks, but it's months and years of just it feels like, spiritually speaking, you just feel like you're treading water or you feel like you're going backwards. And there's just more and more questions you have that you don't have answers for. And it's in these moments where things actually get dangerous because you've got a few possible responses that you could have to the times like this in your life. So there's actually three, but the first thing, a lot of people, when they get into this situation where things just don't line up, they just kind of put the blinders on. They just naively say, well, I guess it's just going to work out eventually. You go to the doctor and you get a bad report and you're like, it's going to work out. It's going to be fine. I don't even need to take the medicine he said I need to take because God's going to heal me. You you lose your job and you're like, it's fine. I'll get another job. I'm not even going to send out resumes because I know God will provide. It's kind of a denial of reality. Just a Pollyanna, it's going to be fine. Even when you, there's maybe a part of you that knows it's not, but you just would rather pretend like it is. And everybody around you like, this is not good. And you're just sitting there like, no, it's fine. Really, it's fine. (laughs) Uh, You know, other people, though, they got a different response. They get mad. And maybe you've been here. And you look at what you're dealing with and you look what other people just seem to get a fast pass through life and you're struggling every day and you're like, fine, if this is what it means to follow God, I, you just chuck it all and you're just, I'm, I'm not in for this anymore. I really thought that I would experience a little bit better life because I'm a Christian now. So there's the two possible. You can go this way and you can just ignore everything and just pretend like it's fine and, and not ever acknowledge that there's some difficulties. Or you can go this way and you can just say, you know what, I'm just, I'm done. I don't want to have anything to do with God. And, and there comes a time in your life when you just go, okay, I used to be a Christian. I used to believe that way, but now I kind of grew up. There's a third way. It's the way of Habakkuk. It's a harder way. It's the way that James would describe in the New Testament. He says, you should consider a joy when your faith gets tested because it's in that time when your faith gets tested that you become mature and complete. It's the way that when you realize what I believe about God and what I'm experiencing aren't lining up, you decide, I'm still going to trust God. I'm going to come to God with all my hard questions. I'm going to pray the painfully honest prayers. I'm going to say the things that I'm thinking in my mind because God already knows it anyway. I'm going to put it before him. And God, I'm still going to trust you. And I will tell you what will happen here. And many of you have done this and you can say with me, this is how it works it doesn't necessarily make everything better immediately. When you start forward and you say, I'm going to continue to show up, I'm going to continue to trust you, God, I'm going to continue to pray to you, I'm going to continue to read your word, I'm going to continue to do all these things even though I don't understand, even though I'm kind of angry and disappointed by what I'm seeing, when it doesn't make sense to me, I'm still going to keep showing up. It may get worse. 
I guarantee you, though, if you will stay faithful to him and just continue walking toward him, there will come a point where you will have such trust in him. You will have such a connection to him. You will start seeing things in a way you've never seen before. And I'm telling you, God's Holy Spirit inside of you will give you a strength that you never could have had in any other way, but that you went through this difficult time. You know what I think is so sad is sometimes we go through the most difficult times of our lives and we say no thank you to the grace that God could give us to get through those difficult times. Because for whatever reason, you're going to go into the dip. You're going to go into the difficult time. Would you rather go through it with God or without him? It's really up to you. I like how Habakkuk ends his book. We're not going to go read it, but he just ends with a prayer. It's just a realization that I may never fully understand the ways of God. He's just too far beyond me. He plays at a level that I just don't even get. But I trust him. And even when I don't understand what he does, I believe that in the end, it's all going to work out. And in hindsight, eventually I may look back and say, okay, now I get it. I'm so glad that I trusted you. What do you do, though, if you're sitting here right now and you're in the middle of it and you're angry with God or you, you realize, I've been putting the blinders on, I've been acting like things are okay, but they're not. What do you do with these doubts and these, um, that cognitive dissonance between what you think and what actually you're seeing? I want you to realize this, that it is not a mark of you not being a Christian anymore that you have these doubts and concerns. A deeply committed Christian can have both questions and faith at the same time. It's actually a mark that you're growing up and moving in the right direction, that you're willing to handle both of these things and bring them to God. So what do you do when you're in the dip? Let me just give you one final encouragement. Do what Habakkuk did. Bring it to God. You're already thinking it. You might as well pray it. Just lay your complaint before God. Tell him what you don't understand. Just be painfully honest with him. Here's what I know. When you come to God in faith, he will answer you. You may not get the answer you want. It may not come at the time you want, but I know that he will answer you. I know that he will strengthen your faith, that he will be with you. Here's what else I know. When you come to God in prayer, he reaches out to you. So if you're, you're struggling this morning and you're like, why am I the one that's dealing with the anxiety, the depression, the, the unemployment, the financial issues? Why am I the one that has all the problems with my kids? Why is it that I just can't figure things out? Why is it that I'm the one that sees all the, the problems in the world? Why am I seeing all these things in my society that I love and with people that I love? I want you to know that God sees these things and he cares far more than we could ever understand. And he cares about you. Just reach out to him. In fact, let's go to him in prayer right now. And Father, we do open ourselves to you. And maybe sometimes it's hard for us even to say truly what's on our heart, but we do know from from what you've said to us through your word, that you are listening. And then when we seek you, we find you. I ask that you will come into our world of 2020. And in many ways, it's a mess, just like it's always been, because we're fallen people, we're broken people, and the world is not what it should be. And we, we just come to you and we lay it before you. And there, there aren't any easy answers. We know that, but we're asking you to fix it. Help us to be part of the solution. In the end, Father, we we come to you and we ask that you would just help Jesus be Lord over everything. Help us to, to carry out your mission to do that because we know that when, when you are in complete control again of everything, it will be as you wanted it to be, starting with our lives and then our world. So we just ask you to bring peace and, and righteousness and justice into the world and to bring peace 
into our own lives with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us online for the service today. I'm so glad you were part of this experience. We'd like to continue the conversation and help you take your next step. Maybe for you, you're just ready to say yes to Jesus. And people who say yes to Jesus also say yes to baptism. And if that's a step that you're ready for, we're here to help you with that. Yeah, you know, I get it with COVID that it can make things more complicated, but we're ready to help you do this in a way that is also safe. And other people are doing this, so you won't be alone. So if you want to take this next step, just scroll down and fill out the online connect card and let us know and we'll make that happen for you. you know, another thing that you might be thinking about is that you're ready to be generous. If you scroll down, there is a link to, to give and you can be generous. And that's actually a core value here at Connection. It's something that's very important to us to be generous to God and other people. You know, maybe for you, it's just a question you've got. Maybe there are some doubts. We would love to help be your sparring partner with that. So again, use that connect card and start the conversation. We'd love to help be that for one another here. Uh, whatever it is that you need, if, even if it's just something you would like to pray about, use the connect card. Let's start the conversation. Again, I'm so glad you were here and part of this experience today, and I hope you have a great week. God bless.